Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Hi, welcome back to Money in the Air, the IFR podcast about neighboring rights. Today, we have a very special guest. Leanne, please introduce yourself. And I'll just, before she does, I'll just tell you, because we're going all Canadian today. Hi, I'm Leanne Walanda. I've been doing neighboring rights in Canada since 1998, when this did start and it didn't exist in the States. And I got to call some of my favorite artists and explain to them what this was, that there's more money because you recorded your album in Vancouver. It was a lot harder. Yes, this is a legit thing. I don't need your bank account. Is it getting easier? Now there's just more misconceptions. What, as long as I'm there educating, that's all I care about. What do you call neighboring rights in Canada? They are neighboring rights. And we spell it with the U. And neighboring rights in Canada is fully realized, meaning terrestrial broadcast bars, restaurants, radio stations, internet radio stations, all of the above anywhere sound recordings are performed. Yes. The neighboring rights in Canada, we can only collect on published sound recordings, which means that we can't collect for a live performance. But if it's getting radio airplay, all of that is all under the neighboring rights umbrella. Even interactive? Uh, no, that's one that's still being looked at. And we also lost film and television. That was a big one for us because it went to the Supreme Court of Canada. What we would consider a small tariff going to the Supreme Court is was huge because ReSound, who defended the tariff on behalf of the CMOs, Canadian broadcasters said, no, they won the appeal and then we appealed the appeal and then finally the Supreme Court ruled with the broadcast, which was unfortunate. Did they render the same decision that the European Court did in that the European Court said that a broadcast even if recorded, is not a phonogram and therefore cannot earn a phonogram royalty. Yeah, I'm hoping it's appealed in Europe because that is ridiculous. It's not specific to phonographic recordings, it's specific to recordings because phonograms don't exist anymore. For a long time, we had what was known as private copying, which was based on the citizenship of the artist rather than where you recorded it. So as long as you were a Canadian citizen or a permanent resident at the time of the recording, you were eligible to receive private copying. And then copyright board thought that CDRs were still being used to record music and cassettes. And it's like, but it's 2012. Um, (laughs) I don't even know where to buy a CDR. (laughs) I know. I know. There's probably some in the loft. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a huge revenue stream for Canadian artists, especially the Canadian artists that weren't necessarily eligible for neighboring rights. What would make them ineligible for neighboring rights? In Canada, the eligibility requirements is one or the other being met. So the first one, full fixation of the recording took place in a Rome Convention country, such as Canada and the rest of the world, except for US and China. Or at the time of the recording, the person or the party that paid to have it done was headquartered in a Rome Convention country. So for example, you have an American band signed to a US label, but they recorded their album in Vancouver. Because the album was done in Vancouver, it became eligible for neighboring rights. That's really good. Yeah. If you have a Canadian label 
but you record in the States with an American band. So the Canadian label will collect the neighboring rights royalties from, say, the UK. Will they pass it through to the US performers? Yes, that was the, the beauty of it. And in Canada, it's a 50-50 split. So if $100 is collected from commercial radio for neighboring rights, $50 is for the performer and $50 is for the, the maker. That's what we refer to it, the party that paid. For example, Motley Crue recorded in Vancouver. So I got to pay the members of Motley Crue. I got to pay the session performers that appeared on those Motley Crue songs. And the label also got money who paid. It was a win-win for everybody. <laughs> so That's brilliant. Not all American major labels pass through to the performer. They keep it. They can't do that. I am adamant because when this first came about, a lot of recording artists were hesitant to sign on board because they were afraid that the label was going to recoup their neighboring rights. And I said, that's illegal. They're getting their share. They can't touch your performer share. <laughs> so especially now when, you know, up and coming, I'm like, read your agreement. Make sure that they're not trying to scoop your share yeah. of neighboring rights because they're yours. They're not the labels. They are going to get remunerated. The phrase in the recording contract that you sign or any agreement should be that it's non, you can't cross collateralize neighboring yeah. rights royalties with record royalties or publishing royalties. Make sure exactly. all the income streams are non-cross-collateralized. And then there was also other artists that performed outside of the union at the time, and they were called dark sessions. And so they were worried that they were going to get exposed and kicked out of the union. And again, we had to reiterate, no, <laughs> you can't be penalized right. for your dark sessions. It's just, it, you just can't do it. It's not, why should you be Good. penalized? Yeah. Tell us about national treatments, please. This is brand new. And we're still not sure when it's going to happen. It took effect. Um, I'm just not sure when artists are going to start seeing it. But the eligibility rules that we have imposed are wiped away for the U.S. and Mexico. There was an agreement that came out last year. Now, um, in the case of the American artist signed to the American label recording in Los Angeles, if you get airplay in Canada, we will pay you we will ignore the eligibility rules. And that's for U.S. You can't go into another territory that collects neighboring rights and say, but look, Canada's paying me. They'll say, who cares? But you will treat Americans as if they were yeah. Canadians and exactly. give them the same national treatment you give your own. Yeah. And that's just the U.S. So other countries that either didn't sign Rome Convention or didn't fully sign it, meaning they didn't agree to every part, they don't get national treatment, just USA and Mexico? It's just USA and Mexico. With national treatment, now that it's in effect between Canada and the US, so within Sound Exchange, collect from ReSound for their international mandate, um, the performer share. That's a great question. ReSound and Sound Exchange do have a reciprocal agreement currently. That's been in effect for a number of years now. Whether the scope of that reciprocal is going to change is probably between those two entities. ReSound is the umbrella collective. And it started in 97, and at the time, it was made up of three performer collectives and three maker collectives. ReSound then goes and collects on behalf of us. This way, radio stations weren't getting five different invoices. Just let's make a central hub so that one company is doing all of the work on behalf of us. So you've got ReSound, but they, at the beginning, and still do, have always had a clause that if you weren't happy with any of the collectives that Canada provided, you could go direct to them. But it was more or less kind of, let's not get Resound to do that. Let's leave it for the collectives that are experienced. 
So for the performer side, you have ACTRA, which is A-C-T-R-A, RACS, R-A-C-S, Recording Artist Collecting Society. That's where I started in 1998, and I oversaw the building of that. Um, then you have MROC, M-R-O-C, which started out as AFM Canada and then broke away and became MROC. Those two societies are based in Ontario. And then you have Artisti, which is A-R-T-I-S-T-I, based in Quebec, because we do have the bilingual country. So we have those two. Those are your performer collectives. Now you've got your maker collectives. Again, you've got ReSound, who you can go directly to, or there's Connect Music, uh, based in Ontario, and Soprock, S-O-P-R-O-Q, based in Quebec as well. And that's Canada. And do you have to give them a worldwide mandate, or can you do certain territories direct outside of Canada? You ha- you're given the option. In the EU and the UK, it is a non-waivable right, so you cannot lose the right, no, even if you sign an agreement. Is it the same in Canada? If you, signed, if you signed a record deal or a publishing deal or any kind of funky agreement that says, we're going to take the performer's share of your royalties, or if you agreed to make some recordings for a TV show and it's a buyout, it's a commission for bespoke recordings and compositions, and they say, we're not going to pay you neighboring rights royalties, even though we're going to release the recording. Those clauses are ineffective in the UK and Europe because you can't we, sign them away. That's what I strive for. There have been television stations in Canada that did try, came to our attention, and we shut it down. It was kind of like, hold on, like you can't take this away from them. This is theirs. Leanne, thank you so much. That was brilliant. If anybody has any questions for Leanne about Canada or for anybody about Neighboring Rights Anywhere, please go to the website, www.iafar.co.uk. Ask us a question. We're here to help. Thanks for listening. Thank you.